When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's right, everybody. We are back. This is episode 208, The Fastest Way to Learn Web Development. So this episode is going to cover a variety of topics. I have an introduction planned for after this little intro intro, I guess. But in general, we're going to be talking about the ways to learn web development, but with a twist of we're going to say what the different types or rather who the who would be best suited, I guess you could say, to each of these different types like traditional schooling or online learning or whatever. And then we're going to be talking about we're going to have an entire segment where we're going to be talking about what our preferred methods is. So Matt's preferred method and myself or Mike as well. And we're going to be discussing which one we prefer and like what, like what methods we prefer. And is there's a hybrid of them and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show. You can go check us out on that Patreon, leave a review rating on your podcast app, join us in our discord server or share this with your friends. And now the actual introduction. So we always hear just code, just code. And because it is arguably one of the best ways to learn how to code. The one thing about this, though, and this is actually a personal thing for me, is that I find that this is a a sort of one size fits all solution and everyone is going to be learning differently. And that that's based on literally just people learning things better one way versus the other. Sometimes it's just due to realistic stuff like, hey, you know, I have to only go to night school because I don't have time during the day. Um, I only have an hour free in the evening and stuff like that. So learn best literally by however their brain is, however their brain learns best or learns best as in, Hey, this is, I only have an hour free. So I have to do this little quick learning, this little quick sprint of learning for one hour at night. So in this episode, we're going to be covering some of the most popular ways to learn how to code. Not all of them, of course, but some of the most popular ways to learn how to code. And we're going to be sharing our thoughts on them. And then we'll also be sharing methods after we've gone through all of these different popular ways to learn. We're going to be sharing our methods, how Mike and I learned learned to code how how we would have changed that now how we learn new skills just a general conversation on that type of thing so the first thing on the ticket right now is the classic traditional school so this is going to a college or a university for coding and this can obviously work for some if we assume for the sake of this podcast that this is an in-person private school experience, meaning that you have to pay to go to post-secondary school. It's pretty common here in Canada. You have to pay to go to post-secondary school. Then the cost, then the cost is quite high. So this is sort of a red flag already for those on a budget. But you also have to consider other things like commuting there. Do you have a car? Can you get public transit? Or do you have to move there in order to attend the institution of your choice? So this is obviously piling on these expenses, potentially depending on where you live. And in-person schooling is a lot different per institution as well. So surely the prices are different based upon where they are and what they offer and how prestigious the institution is. But also the actual 
courses are going to be different and what they cover is going to be different. Some places will revamp a course and the other colleges in the area won't revamp the course for a while until maybe a little later. Because again, these post-secondary schools are largely private here in Canada. And as a result, they will compete with each other. So you have to really do, really look up reviews if you can uh, and, and do your due diligence and do your research. You know, is the area good to live in if you need to live there? Is there public transit around? Everything, because this affects your budget, but it also affects your learning experience. Now, time limitations are also a key metric to be to consider here as well. So for in-person schooling, like what we're talking about here, at best, you know, if you have a really strict time limit, at best, you can probably do night class where you would traditionally work all day, commute to the school at night, do the do the actual class at night. But then you also have homework at seemingly random to do as well. So there's for people that are really constrained with time or constrained, don't have a lot of time, just literally don't have a lot of time to themselves. Maybe traditional schooling isn't going to work. And we'll talk to we'll talk about other methods that will work for you in a bit here. But we think that the solution, or I think that the solution, this solution, the traditional school solution, is best for people that learned best in a classroom environment their whole lives. So here in Canada, it's very common for us to go to a public school, which is our elementary school. That's either um, kindergarten or maybe junior kindergarten through grade eight. Sometimes there's a middle school in there, depending on the jurisdiction you live, in which it does six, seven, eight, or seven, eight, again, depending on the jurisdiction. And then you go to a high school or a secondary school. And all of this is public. It's all paid for. You can go to private schools, this and that. But in general, this is what you, this is what we have here. And then you then if you want to continue your education and usually it's more specialized, like I want to be a welder. I want to be a, a technician. I want to do this. I want to do that. Then you go to post-secondary in which is private. So you have to actually pay for that learning. And so there's some people, especially here, that learned best their whole lives, like they just had a great experience in elementary school, in middle school, if it was there and in high school. And so for those people that learned great in these type of environments, they'd probably do great in this, in this sort of environment, this traditional college university in person, because they've, they're clearly, uh, whether they like, like it or they're attuned to it, but they like the classroom environment. They like being in person. They just get it for whatever reason better there. So it might seem obvious, but for some people, they might be like, oh, I'll try to learn online when in reality, they did really great in school and actually really enjoyed it and yada, yada, because grades aren't everything in, the, in this case. And so if they if you learn best in a, in a classroom environment your whole life, then maybe traditional school is for you. Some yeah. people. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. So, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to jump in here because I've had kind of like I've had the traditional school experience twofold or actually threefold. Um, the first time after high school, I went into secondary school, I went in for engineering and I had a terrible time. So I actually switched my degree, uh, to the same course that Matt was taking at a different college, uh, after a couple of years in engineering. And I kind of adjusted myself into a better area that I was more interested in, first of all, which was computers and computer engineering, electrical stuff. And I also adjusted my way of approaching college slash university, right? Um, and I think that's really important. If you're going to be choosing this method, first of all, Matt mentioned it, it's expensive. It is the highest cost method, I would say, out of all of these. Um, and with that, like, I, I feel like that should pressure you to do, you know, to do more and try to succeed. But sometimes it doesn't, especially if you're just coming out of high school. 
because it's just a different mindset. It depends on what kind of person you are. Like Matt was mentioning, if you're the person that really liked school, you'll probably still succeed in university and college. It's very possible that, that will transfer over. But if you're someone that did not like school, then you've got to change your mindset when you hit university or college. The thing that helped me, and again, this is going to be different for other people, but the thing that helped me when I went to the same course that Matt did was finding the right group of people to study with. That was number one. And choosing courses that I'm interested in, right? So not every course you're going to love, not every teacher is going to be great. But as long as you're in a direction that you're actually passionate about, it's going to be a lot more, it's a lot easier to learn and to take those like kind of downs, like those courses that you don't like, because you have courses that you're actually looking forward to, right? And that's what I found at this other, like this, the next step for me was, was the college experience where I found, first of all, a group of people. Matt and there was a bunch of people around around that we studied with and we would do like we would do all the labs together. We would study together for exams. We would have like a good study group. Right. So that helped a lot. The social aspect, uh, it helped during the college and obviously after college, Matt and I started a business together. So, again, the people that you meet during this time are very much going to be like minded people that are hopefully going to be driven or hopefully going to, you know, succeed in their careers as well. And that will allow you to help each other as you grow. So as someone becomes a senior developer, they could try to kind of pull, pull someone else in from a different company and stuff like that. So you grow together. That's the ideal situation. It doesn't happen all the time. But that's the idea that helped me a lot was, again, just finding like-minded people, getting together, and not only using the platform like school as a way to learn something, but it's also a way to network. I think I think the two are honestly almost as important as each other because you're paying, yes, you're paying for the education, but the great thing is, and something that you won't be able to get in online learning and all these other methods is that sense of community and the network. That's really what you're paying for at the end of the day, because there's all these people there that are doing the exact same thing as you. And they're all kind of going through the same struggles as well. Like obviously some people are doing it better than others, but realistically, like those exams that you take, all of people are taking them. The studying that you're doing, most people are studying this the same way as you. So you can create those bonds. You can create those connections. You can talk to your professors. They're also in there to kind of work for you. You're paying them to do the job. So it's a really good idea to kind of go in, go to office hours, establish that connection early on, because first of all, it'll help you with your grades, just straight up, if they recognize you, if they know you, and you have like a bad test or a bad exam, there's a way higher chance of them helping you out. And second of all, you graduate, you're working on something, you need some help, they'd be more than willing, they, they're most likely going to help you. You need you have to ask a question, you want to bring someone on as a board member, for instance, to a company that you're starting. I mean, that's an extreme example. But regardless, stuff like that can happen if you've established those connections early on. So I think learn, I made a lot of mistakes, especially the first time I went to university for the first two years. I didn't do any of the things that I just mentioned. I didn't have a good study group. Uh, I lived, first of all, I lived off campus uh, at home. So I had to travel in. So that made it a little bit more difficult. I'm not saying that that's, it's, it's like a showstopper. You can still definitely create good friendships create good groups of people if you live off campus but know that it's going to be a little bit more of a barrier right especially in like a large college town kind of area like if you're going to a massive university that's most people most freshmen are living on campus it's going to be a little bit harder for you to get into those groups because the people that were there you know a couple weeks beforehand moving into residence have already established that relationship 
So that might or that should be a consideration when you're considering going on residence or not on residence. If you're a social butterfly, you're still probably going to be fine, like Matt said. But if you're someone that's a little bit more introverted, it's going to be a little bit of a steeper climb to find the right group of people. Regardless, totally doable. I did it most of the time. Like I never lived on residence. But yeah, like it's it's just one of those things that you have to I've made a lot of mistakes, but I'm hoping that with my experience, I can kind of guide a little bit on the traditional schooling side of things, that it's not just about the education. Make sure that you actually do the club activities, the networking activities, talk to people, make friends. The thing with that, too, that helped us, though, is that obviously, like our college uh, tenure was like rather intense. And so it wasn't like we were doing what the college would necessarily advertise to us as like, Oh, go, come to the, uh, the, we used to have a, a bar there called the Arnie and be like, Oh, come to like the Arnie nights and like do this and that. It wasn't so much that it was just that we had, uh, labs where you, you work hands on and in groups. And that really helped us sort of solidify like friendships and that. So you don't have to be going to all the college has to offer. Cause obviously you're going to get these pamphlets or at least here, you're going to get these pamphlets from these colleges where they're going to advertise stuff like, Oh, we have concerts and a gym and we all have fun and like come out for like thrifty Thursdays or something, you know, whatever they make up. And a lot of people will kind of roll their eyes and it's sort of like, I don't want to do that. And we never did that uh, in college. And we, we still had a big group of friends and we all like a bunch of us still talk and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it like you don't necessarily need to do exactly what the college says if you're rolling your eyes at us saying like, hey, you know, the social aspect matters. It's like just be sort of friendly in your class and like it'll at least it happened for us. So um, with that as well, another thing I wanted to touch on was accountability and routine. So some people just do need an accountability and routine routine, if you will, um, meaning that you literally need to show up to class on time and be in the class in person. And so you need to actually have actually get up and get ready at a certain time, commute there, walk there, whatever, uh, like your drive there, I guess walking is still commute, but basically, you know, you have that accountability in that routine where you're not going to learn anything. If, if you, if you're missing the in-person class and if you're late for the in-person class to a certain extent, you're still not going to meet anything because the class is going to be over. You're not going to learn anything because your class is going to be over. So, some people need this accountability and routine where left of their own devices, they'll be scrolling TikTok, screwing around on Facebook or uh, doing anything else. And they need to have that sort of structure. And that's that's totally fine. So 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 if you're a person that needs a sort of structure, then traditional school may be the right option for you. Um, also, some people just use these opportunities kind of similar to Mike's uh, social thing. But some of these people use opportunities to just travel and live in new places while still being productive with their time, they want to come in, let's say they're from America and they want to come here to Canada or vice versa or, you know, very various other places around the world. Of course, you can go abroad or go here, or go there and you can study at a place. And so your time spent there is productive. You still have the weekends and you can hang out and do this and that. But once again, budget constraints. But if you don't have that and you like to travel and you're able to afford all this, then, you know, this might be the way to do it instead of you just moving to a place that you want to visit and you're like, Oh, I'll keep pushing off my education, pushing off my education. This is an option where you can go to a traditional school where you move close to the school. You have like almost an accountability and routine that way where, Hey, I want to see this country. I'm going to move close to this school. That school is going to teach me this while I'm there. And then I'll explore the country on the weekends type of thing. A lot of people will do that type of that, that type of uh, relationship with, with a, with an institution and with a country. 
Um, and then Mike already mentioned as well, but social butterfly is also obviously if you're, if you really need or want face to face learning and face to face interactions with colleagues, then social butterflies are probably going to really enjoy traditional school over say online learning or just working by yourself or whatever. Um, absolutely. I would say that that would be the best option for them. Traditional school for social butterflies. Moving on to the next thing here, which is rather obvious, but we're going to get into some weird learning methods that I want to touch on after this. So traditional school is the first one already went through that second one here, online learning. And I specifically mean with online learning with courses. So, you know, can be they can be offered by an institution like a like a college university uh, or they could be free online courses like YouTube and websites and that type of thing. Or they could be paid courses like Udemy. Now, this offers the uh, luxury and really the flexibility for those that want a degree or a diploma or a certificate, whatever the rather whatever the specific institution offers, because oftentimes people will want one of those pieces of paper from a specific institution. So this way, they don't have to do the traditional schooling route if they're too busy or they just don't want to. They don't have to go in person, but they can still get that degree, diploma, certificate from the college or university of their choosing. So this is one way for them to do that if it's offered. Now, many online courses are done at your own pace. So if you're a person that doesn't necessarily, um, you know, you don't know how to like pace yourself or you don't hold yourself accountable and that type of thing. Maybe this, maybe you would struggle with this. And some online courses do have accountability. However, so there's a bit of a hybrid here. If there is some sort of live component with an instructor and maybe some sort of deadlines, like an online college course, some online courses will be more or less traditional school just done over the internet, over like a zoom call or something similar to that. And they'll have traditional deadlines, this and that. The benefit of it, of the benefit of it, excuse me, of course, is that you don't have to go in in person. You're not getting ready early, commuting there. You know, maybe you don't have to move closer. You can virtually live anywhere, get educated via this online course, and then just have a college education. So it's, it's, there's a bit of a hybrid there done at your own pace versus this sort of more accountable traditional classroom, but just done over the internet method. And like the, like the other segment, I have a list of the, of what this solution. So what online learning, specifically with courses, who would be best suited for this sort of thing. And that would be people that want to learn skills their own way. So specifically when talking about the courses that are done at their own pace, maybe someone wants to go from chapter one, they don't need chapter two right away. So they'll go read chapter four all of a sudden, then they'll go back to two, they'll skip three entirely, that type of thing. Some people just want to learn skills their own way for whatever reason, maybe they're working on a project and they want to learn skills that way. And that's totally fine. Also upgrading or furthering an existing skill set. So maybe you're already a web development or a web developer, excuse me, and you just want to learn a new framework. So this might be the way to do it. Grab a Udemy course, maybe watch a collection of YouTube videos that are put together in some sort of course. And there you go. Also, these are obviously really friendly for budgets. So strict budgets specifically. So Often online courses are cheaper from institutions than in-person ones. But like I mentioned, there are free online courses on things like YouTube, of course, on just websites. Like some people will just host courses on their websites and also just the, literally having cheap course at, like course uh, purchases from something like Udemy and a, a bunch of other different places as well. Skillshare, those type of things. So if you're on a strict budget, and you can't, you literally can't pay out. You can just go to YouTube or someone's website if they're offering it there. If you have like a half decent budget, 
but you don't want to pay for an institution, which is thousands, thousands of dollars of, of tuition, you could always go and grab a paid course from, again, Udemy, Skillshare, and a bunch of other places as well. And this also helps as well, especially with the ones that, especially with the courses that are done at your own pace, working around very busy schedules. So you could, you know, learn three hours this week, learn 30 hours next week, learn one hour the next month. It, it really doesn't matter. It kind of just depends on how, how much you can retain and how much of a break you can take before you start forgetting things and how serious you are and how, how quickly you need to complete this. But it's all up to you. Everything's variable there and it's all up to you. So working around very busy schedules, people who need to do that, online courses are probably the best way for you to learn web development. Yeah, absolutely. Honestly, there's just so much material now for web development online. And even saying that, there's so much free material. And something that I'm going to do for this episode, I, I haven't prepared because Matt wrote these show notes. But what I want to do is I want to make a list of free resources for online courses. Uh, the main one being and the, the biggest shout out that I want to have is free code camp. Uh, there's so much material there. There's structured courses that you can take that will get you from the very, like, no knowledge of web development all the way up to a hireable skill set, right? Now, having said that, there's a lot of stuff you have to do along the way. It's not just, in my opinion, or not even in my opinion, the reality of the situation is online courses, you do a bunch of online courses, and then you try to apply for jobs, it's not going to get you there, right? It's not going to, you're not going to be able to take the online courses and get a job just through that. You're going to have to create a portfolio. You're going to have to maybe build the connections. You're going to have to work on real life projects to be able to break into the industry as it stands right now. It's not easy, but it's a great start. It's a great foot in the door and it's a great way for you to kind of, especially when you're at zero, like you're just starting in the journey for you to get that fundamental concepts base platform, right? Those three pillars that we talked about for, for web development, HTML, CSS, JavaScript, you need to start somewhere. And as much as we talk about project-based learning and Matt's going to literally tackle that uh, in the next segment, it's, you need to start somewhere to get a fundamental foundation. If you just jump into a project, for instance, without taking any sort of foundational course before that, yes, you might be able to get it done through just trial and error, but the reality is, is it's probably not going to be very good, which is fine. Like if that's the way you want to learn, it's okay. You can create really bad projects initially and then learn from there and kind of build a base by learning projects or without going into any courses. But if you want to accelerate that a little bit, learn the foundations of a technology for, for web development it would be HTML, JavaScript, CSS, and then build a course or then build a project on top of those foundations. While you're building, you're going to maybe need to take more courses to get you know, to get everything finished. But that's essentially kind of the way you can utilize courses to eventually get a job and break into the industry. You have to have both. But courses courses are a part of it that will make it easier for you to build those foundational elements. Yeah, we'll absolutely touch on that as well with the next couple of things here, which is the tackle method as well as the just code method kind of. And I'll Kind of, or I will explain why I hesitated there because I have like a bit of a point to make as well. And then I'm sure we'll touch on that as well in our um, preferred learning methods because, you know, there's a, there's like a, what I would say almost like a misconception in, in that people think, oh, I can just, you know, hop on and just start learning code. And, and you kind of can, but you, in my opinion, you kind of can't. And, and you know what? I'll just transition right now into the, the, the tackle method, which is, 
another method of learning that is, I would say, rather, rather popular, but it's, I'm not a super big fan of. So the tackle method, and I'm just making this name up, it usually happens when someone has a project in mind and tackles the project without, without the specific goal of learning to code. Things are thrown together quickly and efficiently, pushing toward the goal of a completed project and not really checking in on things like, hey, is this done right? Is this the most modern way or is it modern enough? Is this secure? It's just, hey, if it works, leave it and move on to the next problem. So this solution is probably best for people that, because even though I don't really like this method, there are situations that it needs to be used. And that is for people that have a problem it needs to be solved right away, typically a mission critical problem or need that has to be dealt with. Generally, this will happen with smaller companies where they can't hire a development agency and someone just like, hey, we absolutely need this problem solved. We need it done right away if we can. So, you know, let's get this sort of let's get a move on type of thing. Um, this is this is generally, like I said, in smaller in smaller companies or in really small teams where someone isn't even a web developer. They're like an accountant, but they're just sort of like kind of good at computers. And we've taken over websites from stuff like this, where we've taken over a website from a private school in the past where they just got the most tech savvy teacher to, to come in and do it. And that teacher, you know, doesn't code. That's not their job. They're teaching something completely different. But they, you know, built the website the best they could because it was mission critical. It had to be done in, in the moment. And then they gave it to us once the budget or whatever allowed allowed it to. Um, also, people who want to prototype an idea. So this one's actually more popular, I think. Uh, people who want to prototype an idea in a more real life way than just on paper before approaching a development agency. This allows them to check if it's feasible, like if this idea even works, if it's something that uh, you know, could they do it themselves, but they're not, you know, married to that idea that they're going to be coding this up themselves. Um, also, if you're if they're trying to, like, really portray their vision to the developer, they don't want just a generic website. They want something very specific. So if they make you sort of this, like, living, breathing prototype, whether it's secure, good, bad, whatever, it's a, an, an additional visual aid. On top of just say like a traditional prototype or something else that this person probably doesn't even know how to make themselves. Uh, but it's, it's, it's like just another way to sort of prototype an idea and really show it off and check its feasibility and sort of like check your idea. So that those two types of people and those two types of situations is sort of what I would recommend for the tackle method. But the reason why I'm so hesitant on the tackle method is because it is just tackling the problem with no prior experience and it, and you you start you start having serious problems one of the problems in in just a common one that I'll just throw in here is that people will just start to use a whole bunch of services that they've got from the first google search so let's say they're working with a no code tool that does handle forms but they don't know that and then they just google they work on this tool for a long time. They completely miss the form feature, right? They're completely oblivious to it. And then they just look up like form handling software. And then something like, you know, uh, MailChimp shows up, which I have nothing against MailChimp. I've only used them very little, but I have nothing personally against MailChimp. But it's like a waste of time and money to 
not use the software that you've already paid for that would do the form. And then that happens over and over again. And then you have this convoluted mess. And this is how WordPress sites usually go, where someone doesn't really know what they're doing and they just keep adding new plugins, new plugins, new plugins, new plugins. They don't realize that they're bogging down the system. They're creating issues for future updates. They're creating issues for developers or whoever to test future updates and actually get things working every single time there's a major update that needs to go through. This is sort of what I would say the tackle method results in. It, it's, it's really more of an unsustainable way to code things. I will say this though, is some people will tackle a project, then realize, Hey, I actually don't mind this web development thing. And then, you know, a new web developer is born, if you will. So I'm not completely throwing out the tackle method, but I am really am questioning it because in my opinion, it's just a bit messy and it just leads to, it's sort of like if you learn to code via anything, like even just reading docu- reading the documentation, if you learn to code that way and then you go in and you actually make the project, you have a bit of a foundation, but things are still going to go wrong. You're new. Things just go wrong even for senior devs, but you still have a foundation. Think about how wild those problems are going to be if you're if you have no foundation at all, if you're just tackling it. Weird issues, strange problems. I th- that's. To me, that's what the tackle method really boils down to. Yeah, I think like the great thing about the tackle method now, I would say, is that most of this can be done with some fairly good no-code tools, right? So proof of concept. I think the, the, the number one thing for the tackle method is usually someone trying to develop a proof of concept. And it's a great way to, to find out if there is a like, you know, legs to an idea, right? So if someone is coming from like a finance background or a business background, they have this idea for a new social media site or a new whatever, like they want to kind of test it out without having to pay $100,000 for development. Uh, that's an exaggeration. They probably cost a lot less, but regardless, they would, they want to pay, they want, they don't want to pay for that. They want to test it out themselves. There's like a million different no code platforms now that can kind of jank an idea together. And I say jank because it's probably not going to be scalable. Um, it's probably not going to be ideal. There's going to be some UX UI issues, but it's something that like, hey, you can add analytics to it. You can check the check the user flow. You can check if users are using it. You can check what they're complaining about before you actually even approach a development team. I think there's a lot of positive, like there's a lot of uh, really good information that can be gathered there and a better product in the end that could be developed using a tackle method. I I agree with you though, Matt, 100% that the tackle method from going from zero knowledge of web development um, isn't the best way to learn web development. That's not to say that it, you know, you can't learn it using the tackle method because you definitely can. People have done it, like they've gone in, they had to build a website, just like your idea with the teacher having to build the website. And then they really liked that process. Then they went in and went back and learned some of the fundamentals and went back and rebuilt the website with using actual fundamentals and stuff like that. There are methods to use the tackle method to kind of break in or to get your foot in the door, right? But it's not the best, like if if we were, again, to create a roadmap for web development, tackle method usually wouldn't be the first thing that we'd recommend in that roadmap. Yeah, like it's definitely a... Uh, 
like I like your I like your analogy with the no code tool where it's like, you know, a no code tool kind of like keeps you like keeps you on like their rails, if you will. And so you can't like sometimes you can go off the rails. There's messy web flow sites for sure, but it's not it's not like absolutely irreparably off the rails is basically what I'm trying to get at. Um, but if someone's going in and being like, hey, I'm just going to learn PHP and like make my own CMS because I need that really quick. It's like, OK. <laughs> That thing ain't going to probably work all that great, you know, because like, I mean, even if I try to make a, a CMS right now with what I know about computer programming, it probably still wouldn't come out all that amazing without a lot of planning and a lot of actual like thought and more learning, honestly. So um, and then the the most popular way that people say to learn code quickly is to just code, you know, just code, just code, just code. And I would I, I agree with this. But I, I consider this less a method of learning and more of a way to practice. So it is a, it is a method of learning, but it's not where I would start. Again, I'll get to like a, how I would suggest to do it as quickly as possible in the next segment. But, you know, coding, like just coding lends itself to that tackle method. If, if you hear, if you're a complete beginner and you're, and you're not sure how to code at all, and you just tackle a project, you know, that's fine, whatever. But if you want to be more serious, like to me, it's like, I think you need to either go to a school, take a course, even like, and we didn't cover this, but even if you want to be a self-starter, you could just read documentation, read forum posts, those type of things. That's personally how I would do it. And I'm not saying to do that for hours and days and years and whatever. I know college courses are years and you know, a lot of Udemy courses are very long. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, is that imagine you're, you know, you're using the tackle method and you're in, you're, you're just constantly using little snippets of code that you've gotten from Stack Overflow. That's all well and good. But you don't understand what one of the commands are, or one of the one of the pieces of code is. You have no idea what it is. If if you just keep like going through and using and using and using a bunch of stuff, you could easily blow a stack, create bad performance, do this and that, have all these serious problems with your code because you don't know what each of the commands and the skill or and, and the methods and this and that and the other thing are. But if you if you were to go in and learn a little bit. Like, for example, a really simple CSS example would be I, I, I've seen people where they they write up a class because they found it on Stack Overflow. So let's just say it has a display property um, and a color property just for the simplicity of, of this example. It has a display of block and a color of red. Sure. So this text is red and it's in a block. Sure. I've seen people be like, oh, I actually want this to be display flex. I've learned that display flex is a thing, but I don't want to break the previous code. So below the two, dis the, the display and the color, they'll put another display property. I've seen that several times where they copy and paste that over because they don't understand that you can just replace the one display. They think, oh, the display and the color together in this configuration makes this text uh, you know, align the way I wanted to or whatever, like display the way I wanted to with and it's red text. And I don't want to disturb that, but now I need to align it. So I'm going to add a display flex below that. It's sort of like you can already kind of see how this is going to get into like a runaway situation where you're going to have duplicate properties all over the place. You're going to have a bit of a mess 
a whole bunch of stuff that's all over the place. It's just because they didn't understand that. So I'm not saying that they sit there and learn about the display and the color property for hours on end. I'm not saying that. But going to something as simple as W3 schools and looking at how the display property works and seeing all the options that you can put in there and realizing, oh, I can just go in and change the display block to display flex instead of making another display property. And we'll see how it looks. And like something just as simple as that little bit of foundational understanding really helps with stuff like that. If you look at any sort of, um, you know, just tackle this type of project, I, we've, Mike and I have dealt with, with a, with a project where somebody did not know what a class was, but they learned what an ID was. And I'm talking CSS. And so they just had the same redundant CSS over and over and over again per ID. They didn't know that they could list multiple IDs on a line. So they just had this constant. And so this file, you know, effectively is massive. Now, it was a vanilla site, so it's not, you know, super bad performance or anything, but it's complete nonsense from when we go in there, when it's like, hey, can you make us another page in the same style? It's like, well, holy, like, why is why is there like 18 of the same property set applied to 18 different IDs over and over and over again? Make it a class like what what's going on here? Those little things that you'll learn when you're reading the documentation or checking the documentation or checking W3 schools, if you're just going through checking properties or if you've gone to school or whatever, all these learning methods, those are the things that I would say that that you're going to avoid. You're going to avoid weird little problems like that, that you will have with the tackle method because there's a there's a whole bunch of ways to reach a problems solution, but many of them are messy and many of them are, even though it solves the problem, many of them are wrong. And you're going to have weird problems like that. And so when I say, when I, when I say the just code method, cause a lot of people say just code, just code. I want to say that just coding is more of a practice. Once you have a bit of a base, once you've read a little bit, once you understand what CSS is, once you understand what HTML is, for example, you know what? And then eventually you're going to add a little bit of JS. And so I consider again that just code is more of a practice is more practice than a way to learn. Project-based learning is great, but in general, I still consider it practice once you have the basics down. So it's almost like my the method method that I'm talking about is having an actual, like, or not an actual method, but a method of learning the concept that you're about to tackle, even just a little bit, and then just doing the quote-unquote just code to learn more. And what this does, this this sort of hybrid, is it gives you a bit of a base. Things are still going to be a mess because you're new. Not going to be as much of a mess generally. But what this does is just coding reveals a whole bunch of questions that you would that that you need to find the answer for that you wouldn't have if you were just learning theory. So I want the just code to be combined with another method. That's where I'm at. And then as you code with this just code method, you'll find niche issues. Like you'll find little weird things like, hey, we're deploying this uh, web app on a device that has a resistive touchscreen and only one single touch point is will work. So using two fingers to zoom in and out of a photo is just not going to work. Well, how do you innovate around that? That's the type of stuff that you may miss on a like just pure theory learning. Once you put the web app out, you're like, uh oh, you know, my, my my click and drag with two fingers or like, you know, zooming in and out by pinching your, your fingers together or apart doesn't work. It doesn't work here. So like, how are we going to get around that? And that those are the type of problems that and those are the type of questions 
that will come from the just code method. And so I understand that I've kind of like jumped segments now where I said I'm going to show my preferred method. But like overall, that's where I'm at, where I think you need to learn a little bit, you know, read about it here and there, do this and that. And then you can just code to get your practice in. It's a hybrid of the two. Just coding to me right off the hop is basically just the tackle method. And it's and it's going to be a mess unless you're actually invested in learning web development and and you're not just trying to solve some sort of problem like we had described in the tackle method. To me, it's just a mess. So, yeah, I think I think, first of all, it's a really good transition from just code to preferred learning methods, because I'm going to go through what I think project based learning actually is which is very similar to how you describe your ideal method, Matt. So just code or like d- jumping in tackle method, I, I I agree with you is not the proper way or maybe not the proper, not, not the way to go, right? Like it's like you, you, you mentioned all the de- all the faults of it. And I completely agree with that, but you can't do just one of those things. Like you can't, like you cannot be learn web development with just theory period. Like can't be done. Theoretically, you can learn web development with coding. Even if you just jump in and learn all the worst practices initially, if you just, if you're okay with the crap that you're going to write right away and you're good with like iterating and, and continually learning and not being stuck in your ways when that you first initially created that like crazy amount of IDs or whatever. Um, if you're okay with building on whatever crap that you build, then you can eventually learn web development through coding, right? Totally plausible. It's tough. Not the greatest way to do it, but sure, you can do it. That's not the best way. Project-based learning in my eyes is this. You pick a project. So let's say you want to make a to-do app that can track your uh, tasks for the month and output a summary for you at the end of each month, right? So there's a little bit of a twist to a to-do app, whatever. You have an idea in your mind that you want to build. You have no experience building this. You don't just jump in and start writing HTML. You don't even know what HTML is. What you do is you learn the basic fundamental concepts that can help you build to that idea. So in web development's perspective, if you want to build this to-do app, you're going to need to learn how to lay it out. That's going to be HTML and CSS. You're going to need to learn the fundamental basics of that. You go into a course on free code camp or Udemy or whatever with the idea in mind. So the project that you want to build in mind, but you're going in learning the fundamentals. When you're learning the fundamentals, they're going to have examples there, right? They're going to show, they're going to be like, Hey, build this little nav bar, build a button, whatever, build a page layout. As you're building those examples, you're going to start realizing that, hey, I'm going to need a nav bar for my to-do app. I'm going to need these buttons for my to-do app. And the best way for me to learn is to now dive into my project and start building that nav bar for my project. So I've just built the nav bar an example project. Now let's do a little bit of a different one for the to-do app that I'm going to build. Now let's build a button for the to-do app that I'm going to build. Now let's build this, like, uh, the list layout of the to-dos that I'm going to build now that I've learned it, right? That's what helps me solidify my skills the most is the connection between something that I'm currently building and something that I'm learning. That one-to-one connection is always going to propel me to, first of all, continue learning. I'm excited to learn because I know that, hey, I can apply this directly into here. Like, every time I learn a new tech, 
I'm, I have it in mind of how I'm going to apply it. If I'm just learning for the sake of learning, it's tough for me. Again, I'm, I'm saying for me because everyone is different, but like I know that there are other people like me. That connection that I make to the project that I'm building, and it doesn't have to be a to-do app. Obviously, it can be whatever you want. It could just be a website that you're building for yourself, or it can be anything. Just think of anything. I think it helps It helps solidify any of the basic knowledge that you make, that you, that you go through. And again, you get to the point where you learn Java or HTML and CSS, and now you're like, okay, well, now I have to create the to-dos. Like, how do I do that? Like, I don't know how to like, how do you add a plus button that then, you know, adds a text box to create the to-dos. Now you start learning a little bit of JavaScript. You go down to JavaScript fundamental course. It's going to teach you a bunch of stuff, not necessarily all related to the to-do app. But as you go through it, you're going to be like, oh, create element, element. That's something I can use because you're going to be doing examples along the way. I always urge everyone to like not only just obviously watch the lesson, or read everything, but obviously do the examples that are with it. Because almost any course that you're going to find now that's good is going to have example projects, is going to have example coding instructions. It's going to urge you to code along and do things differently. So do those. And with a project in mind, you'll be able to pull out pieces as you're going through and putting them into your project. At the end of the day, you're going to go through a couple fundamental courses and you're going to get an idea of where you're missing information. So maybe you understood how to create a text box, but you don't understand how to delete one, right? Like, how do you delete a text box? Like, how do you remove an element? That's when your brain starts working a little bit differently. And you start getting into this problem-solving approach. It takes a little while, but once you start being able to question, making the, like asking the right questions online, on Google or whatever, you're able to then take a problem that you have, like I can't delete an element, and Google it, like how do you delete a div in JavaScript? And then you're working, now you're a developer. Like <laughs> that's when I think you've you've taken that step to being a actual developer because now you can take problems and create the proper questions to them that lead to a solution that you can implement. It's a if lot more specific than like saying something like how to delete a text box from a website. Correct. Because then you're just example. like copying and pasting the first couple of code snippets that you have, pasting it wherever. You don't even know you're in JavaScript. Like it's a very different approach that you're describing than the tackle method where you where, when, when you have no um, – you don't care whether it's JavaScript or Java or like a table. Like you have no idea and you don't care. You're just trying to get this thing to work. And so it's a like you're, you're, the way you're describing project-based learning is a lot it, – it, it is like it's, it's the practice – you know, it's the just code method just within inside of a project. It's the practice. 100%. Yeah, that's why like when you were describing it, I was like, yeah, that's exactly how I learned. So it works out perfectly. I just call it project-based learning because we can call things whatever, however we want. But that's my version of project-based learning. And that's the way I om learn almost any new pro new technology. Like Svelte, for instance, came out and I'm like, hey, I want to build this little weekly growth goals application. I want to have like a, a, a way to track the goals that I have during the week, right? And then I went and learned Svelte. And I went through their documentation and I went through a course and I went through online videos. And as I was going through those videos, I was putting it together and being like, oh, this is what I can use for the to-do lists. Or, and this is what I can use for, uh, you know, creating the UI and this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It started to make sense to me as I went through it. If I just jump into a new technology with no goal in mind, 
it's just not going to stick. Like I can learn it. I can do the examples and stuff like that, but it's just not going to stick for me. So that's why you have to have the combination in my opinion. Like you just have to have, you can't just jump in and tackle stuff because then you, you miss that fundament, those fundamentals that could sink you in the end, especially if you're trying to actually build something for production, right? Like it's going to bite you in the ass. If you have the fundamentals, then you can build on top of those. Then you can ask the right questions. Then you can create the right kind of project. It's not going to be perfect. That's something that I want to be very clear about is learning the fundamentals doesn't mean you're going to build a really good project. There's still going to be severe inefficiencies. There's still going to be very bad practices. No matter how well you've prepared, you're still going to screw up. But you're going to have a foundation that you can actually mold and adjust and build on rather than having to rewrite, if that makes sense, rather than having to go back and do in a completely different way. Sometimes you'll have to do that anyway, but like for the most part, you'll be able to build on top of it. You'll be able to make adjustments to create those best practices a little bit better. And again, as you build more projects, you're going to get better and better and better at it. So don't expect your first project to be good. Just your hope is that it works. But with the way to come, like when you're combining the project-based learning, like what, like the tackle method that Matt's saying and the online learning of YouTube or whatever, or traditional school, it's going to make a better foundation for you to kind of build on. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like, I was just the way you, like the whole time you were describing that, what I was actually thinking of is like on a personal note, I've been actually learning to golf and I'm not going to get into the whole story, but if the way I've been thinking of it is like, I went to the range of the friend, he knew what he was doing. I did not. I take a few swings and he's like, slowly correct, slowly correct, slowly correct. So what I'm getting there is like, I'm finding out where I'm at originally. And then, but I'm like very immediately, like, v- like very quickly, I'm being like corrected by someone that knows what they're doing. So it's like, okay, being corrected, corrected, corrected. And I'm getting the information. This is very similar to the project based learning that Mike's saying where, you know, you kind of dive in and you're like, man, this is a mess. Then you Google, you know, properly, you know, like I need this in JavaScript. I need this in React. I need this in whatever. And you have the goal of, of furthering your, uh, your web development skills in there. And so like with the golf, it's like, okay, like I, I learned the method. I learned how to, you know, hit the ball semi consistently on the driving range. We go to an actual course. It's going to be a disaster. Of course it is. And you go there and then it's like, okay. I never thought of hills like it's just something you don't think of. It's like I never thought of like major hills of me standing on a weird angle. I never thought of being on the fringe of like a very deep bunker, like a sand pit. I've never thought of if it's too steep, I'm going to be standing on the sand pit and I have to like hit this thing like a ping pong ball or something <laughs> like you don't think of that stuff. There's your project based learning. So like it's like I'm going to the driving range and learning almost academically the theory. That's kind of what I'm doing. And I'm I'm practicing as well. So I'm getting some actual golf swings in there and I'm getting help. And then I'm going to the golf course and I'm learning, okay, I got to learn to chip. I got to learn to this. I got to learn to that. Then I go back to the driving range, go ahead, do that a little bit. Then I go back to the golf course. Okay. You know, and so it's almost like the golf course is the project where I'm doing a project and I'm learning all these little niche issues. Like I found my ball. It's behind a tree. What do I do? I can't hit it forward anymore. I never thought of this on the driving range. What do I do? What club do I choose with this and that? And so you're finding out all those, those unique issues. And then you're taking those issues and you're retre- and I'm retreating back eventually to the driving range where I'm learning all this stuff. And that's your Google search. You're going to retreat from 
the project and you're going to do like a proper Google search to figure out how to do it properly. And the mindset's really clear or really important here too, is that you want to learn not just how to tackle the problem to just get it done. You know, some people have a bad golf swing and they can really rip it out there. But I, like immediately I was like, no, I want to learn form first. I want to learn how to do this properly. And then I'll improve with good form. I won't, you know, get better with my bad form, hit a ceiling of skill because it's bad form and then have to relearn a bunch of stuff. That's just not how I would prefer to do with it. Do it. And so that's, that's ultimately, and like I've already discussed it and like Mike's, Mike's talked about it too, is that like ultimately that's what I, that's what I do is I go into Webflow. For example, when I went to learn Webflow, no code tool, cause it's largely HTML and CSS anyway. And I basically went in there and like, I go to the Webflow university. I watch a collection of videos. I go a little deeper. I don't just look at the surface, not hours, maybe a day of like work, maybe two of reading and looking at, okay. Now let's try it. I got a little foundation. You know, you try the project, try the project, try the project. Now you want to go back and Google some stuff. Try the project, try the project, try the project. Now you want to go back and Google some stuff and you get better. It's not just going into, and I've been seeing people on Twitter complain about this with Webflow is just running right in there and then not knowing what classes are. And it doesn't really matter because you can just click the buttons and you're applying multiple of the same, what would be a collection of properties, which is normally um, normally in a class, like a single class, like content box or something, you'd have the same, you know, display properties, the same color properties, whatever, but people are just making new elements and then just making new classes because they're automatically made and they're just constantly clicking the buttons and they, they're not learning the proper way to do it. And so there's like a difference, you know, like, like Mike said with the project-based learning and, you know, the, the just code method, it, it's, it absolutely is a method, but to me, it's more of a practice in conjunction with, with another, I would call, I want to call it like a more academic method, but that's not the way it's like more of like a form, a proper form method where you, you want to learn what the proper way to do a vanilla website is. And so you're not going to suddenly just pull out Adobe Dreamweaver, <laughs> you know, at some point in your journey in this, you're going to be like, no, it's HTML, CSS, and JS. JS. I learned that. Okay. And now you, there's your foundation. You can start. What's this HTML thing? This is a disaster. I don't know how to do this. Okay. Google that. What's the CSS thing? I don't know what that is. Okay, Google that. What's this? Or go to school, you know, as well. Like, that's another thing that we've obviously mentioned. If you're a person that prefers the institution or the, the long-form learning, absolutely. Social butterfly, et cetera. We already went through that. Then the then that the schools will generally take you through this type of stuff. But I would like to point out, the reason why I brought it up is that, and Mike can attest to this, they're not going to teach you everything. They're teaching theory. They might teach you in a lab through projects and stuff like that to get you into a little bit more of that project based learning. That's a little more real world. But being on the job or like actually doing a project like in a non academic setting, a lot of the projects in an academic setting are tailored so that you're 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 tested effectively on applying the skills that you learn in the classroom. So they're like very tailored projects. But in the real world, you know, no one that doesn't matter. You know, the touchscreen you're using is resistive, single touch point only. How do you get around that? It's not like, well, let's change the parameters of the, you know, no, that's not how it works. So um, I don't really have anything else to add to this episode. I, I think that this is sort of what I want to achieve with this is just sort of talk about the different, epi- the different, I want to talk about the different episode types. I want to talk about the different learning methods, but then sort of almost debunk the just code, just code, just code, because I think it does lead to like, again, that tackle method. 
Uh, did you have anything else to add, Mike? Uh, no, I think we've covered it pretty well. Uh, I mean, it's honestly like the just code method, just based on its name, I agree with you is wrong. But I think most people, when they say just code, are referring to a more structured project-based learning method as well, um, or at least somewhat structured. Like, I don't know if a lot of people are actually recommending to just dive into code without looking at documentation or courses or anything. I agree scratch. with that, yeah. I agree uh, with that. But, but I agree that it is a little bit confusing. So I think this episode was important in the sense that, like, there is a lot of, hey, just code and just create projects as you start. But it, that's not. there's a lot of nuance behind that because there's a lot of experienced people saying it. And now that they're experienced, yes, like now for me, I can just dive into a project to learn a new technology for sure. When you're starting out without any information, without any knowledge of programming or web development, that method will probably sink you. It'll probably burn you out more than anything because you're not going to know what to Google. You're not going to know what to search for. You're not going to know how to just even make the first step without taking a course or at least learning the fundamentals. So it's really important to realize that, you know, just because people are saying to go out and code projects all the time, they're not saying that you can do that with zero knowledge. You have to build some knowledge and use it in practice and have that cycle going of learning and practice learning and practice. Absolutely. Yeah. Like th that's absolutely true is that a lot of people that say just code that they're talking like, Hey, you know, you like get out of tutorial. Hell is a big one. Get out of tutorial hell and, and just start coding. Uh, Cause people will like, you know, gotta hit the books hard, you know, hit the academics hard. And then even just the courses, right. Just courses of any sort or just, any sort of content that they can get, get their hands on. They're like, Oh, I'm not, I'm not ready to hit the, I'm not ready to do anything. I'm not ready to like make an app. I'm not ready to make a web app yet. And, and so like the just code method absolutely is kind of like a kick in the ass, if you will, to get out of tutorial hell, if you're stuck in there, or it's a way to say like, no, I need to start just coding right now. or I need to code a little bit right now. So I don't get stuck in tutorial hell. That's absolutely correct. A lot of people are referring to that, but I, I did want to like, you know, like Mike said, touch on it because I, I figured it could be confusing for absolute beginners when they hear, oh, just get out there and code, just get out there and code. And they're like, oh, well, when? And this is what leads to the tutorial hell versus versus the just code method versus all the other methods we've already discussed this episode. And so I just kind of wanted to like literally lay it out and be like, here's the methods that we think that are most popular, at least at least from what we can tell. And like, this is what you do with your just code and your project based learning. But uh, I think that's it. That's uh, that's that's the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, if you did enjoy it and you want to support the show, you can go check us out on that Patreon. That's patreon.com slash HTML, all the things. And many thanks to our $3 tier patrons. Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital on blueblackdigital.com. Chris from Self-Made Web Designer on selfmadewebdesigner.com. Tim from The Web Hacker on thewebhacker.com. DL Ford from dlford.io. Bib Hashdash from Nine Block Media on nineblockmedia.com. Jason from Geek Life Radio via geekliferadio.com. Michael Curie from MC Web Studio via mcwebstudio.ca. Magnus from YesWeb via yesweb.se. Jeff from Twitter via at the Jeff McHale. And a new $3 tier patron this month, Fire Ant Season via fireantseason.com. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform that you are listening to this on. And this outro will sign us off. You
You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast. Web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media. On Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things. Signing off.